This podcast is brought to you by the Fox Face Rabbit Fish. The Fox Face Rabbit Fish possesses a name that seems like an oxymoron. After all, foxes eat rabbits. But the Fox Face Rabbit Fish refuses to be labeled. It swims around proudly, displaying its venomous spikes, as if to say, What are you doing about it, human? After all, you named me. In reality, I look more like a yellow raccoon. Whose fault is that? Cheers to you, Fox Face Rabbit Fish, and we're sorry for naming you. Uh, hello, 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 my hello, my fishy friends, and welcome to another episode of Getting Fishy with It, the podcast. <laughs> Today, uh, we have a special guest we're very excited about. But before we even get into that, we're going to go around the horn and say what's new with everyone. Amber, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. I don't really have much to report on, I guess. In anticipation of San Diego Comic-Con next year, my friends and I, along with my husband, we went up to Wisconsin. I don't think I <laughs> Wisconsin? <said that. laughs> yeah. How, how T-Pain? Who is it? T-Pain? Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain way of saying Wisconsin, apparently. But like, yeah, the land of cheese. They have a cheese castle there and... That's pretty much it, I think. I don't think there's anything else. Is the castle made of cheese or is it just full of cheese? No, I wish it was made of cheese, but it's just full of cheese. Okay. Yeah, but it's just this castle with cheese in it. Okay. But we went there because apparently they also have a huge Joanne store. So we had to go oh, get Joanne supplies fabrics? from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Make oh I see where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys are hardcore. Guess how many hours we spent there? sounds like you loved every minute <laughs> we were three, there for three, three hours yeah okay. i said three <laughs> wow yeah and so Incredible. my friend she's kind of like the seamstress of our group and so she's gonna make each of our costumes but she was like yeah we're gonna spend three hours there and she was not joking so but we got it done we got all the fabric we got all the beads and stuff and now she's gonna be working on that until next year when we go to comic-con so I'm super excited. Wow. Do we get a teaser on like what you're, you guys are doing a team cosplay, I'm assuming? Or group cosplay? Yeah. So like one of the ones that we're doing is a couple of characters from The Mummy. And you can guess who I'll be, so. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wild. I'm super excited about that. Wow. That's great. Cool. That's amazing. Uh, Christine? Um, I, there's nothing new for me, really. I'm, my knee hurts. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's, that's the, the worst thing. Uh, no, I uh, just basically I'm in the middle of like diagnostic hell working on like figuring out what's wrong with my knee because I'm old now. So <laughs> uh, not really uh, other than that, like we have some major work happening on one of our facilities at work, which has been really stressful. So pretty much that's just been sleepless nights and painful knees that's what you guys have to look the forward autobiography. to autobiography yeah, exactly <laughs> that's what you guys have to look forward to is just ouchies oh, no. and i can't sleep oh yay <laughs> yeah. there you go we're doomed 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 what about you josh anything new Oh my gosh, thanks for asking. Oh, did i tell you about whale watching or did that already did i already talk about that? You didn't talk about it on the pod. I didn't. Oh, sweet. Okay. So what I was supposed to do a couple, it was not last weekend, but the weekend before I was supposed to go to Dallas to meet up with some college friends. 
uh, which was going to be very exciting. Unfortunately, we had to call it because my friend who was like hosting all of us ended up getting like pretty bad level of pneumonia and could not host us. Like they basically were like, you need to be like under quarantine and wow. like taking antibiotics. Oh, wow. So his father, his father-in-law is a doctor too. So he was like, you really should just cancel this. So everyone canceled our flights. Uh, and instead I had all these backup plans that I had canceled previously because I thought I was doing this. So I ended up going with uh, my wife and her family whale watching. I have an idea! Oh God, it's Aquaman. Come on, guys! We could use whales! Whales! Uh, which was kind of exciting because I had, I don't think I've done it since I was a kid. So we went right off the coast of Manhattan. There's like a ferry that just goes right off and then just goes down kind of like towards the bay so you get like you get to see like the whole city the statue of liberty everything and then you like go out into the ocean and we didn't see a lot of whales we always saw like we saw like one whale breach that we chased down and we couldn't find it and then the other whale we kind of followed this this little humpback whale up the shore and i know humpback whales are like not exciting to christine but like it's not pedestrian. <laughs> anyway so that was exciting and i guess like the one thing that i uh learned that i did not know was when they exhale and blow air and water out of their blowhole it smells terrible and mm -hmm. we could just smell their like terrible bad breath or her oh. hair her his terrible bad breath from where we were but it was a fun time i i had a i had a good weekend it was like a nice um sort of salve for the wound of not being able to go to Texas. So that was, that's it. <laughs> cool. All right. And our guest today is Nora Tony. Uh, Nora, do you want to share a little bit about yourself and what's new with you? Um, I mean, I am an RVT and I work at an aquarium in St. Louis and I don't really know anything. <laughs> don't really know anything else. I got a new puppy. So oh, that's, good. that's a big deal. What's your puppy's uh, name? His name is Tarrant. Cute. It's it's the Mad Hatter's real name in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, Ooh, that's a deep cut. That really is. Yeah. <laughs> I also love it when animals have people names. Me too. Yes, yes, it's the best. It's hilarious. All of my animals have Disney names. Oh, okay. Oh, nice theme. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. <laughs> so, are you a Disney fan? Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did mention that, yeah. I, I did not throw any shade at Disney adults in a previous episode. I am a like I like Disney as a park and I understand the concept of rope dropping and that's about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm kind of a Disney like fanatic. So oh, yeah, cool. So you go to the parks yeah. and stuff on the regular or when you can? Um, not really. I like to go new places and I've been to the parks. Uh, okay, okay. So I always like to travel somewhere. Pedestrian. New. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like you need to go to the parks like once every 10 years when they have something new yeah you know so yeah yeah that's kind of yep. our plan so my husband got to go for the first time in like a couple years ago and now he's just like watching disney history videos on youtube and stuff so <laughs> it's easy to get kind yes. of to fall into that interest the whole of disney interest so <laughs> for sure for sure yeah, for sure. I hate to say it. I feel like it was so easy to be self-made back then. You could just be like, have an idea, and all of a sudden you're like a billionaire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Here's I'm wrong. a park, and I drew a mouse. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get into the episode. Um, today, we're actually going to be talking about registered veterinary technicians, credentialed vet veterinary technicians. We have a bunch of different titles, depending on where you are in the world, but... 
I we actually have a guest here that is a fellow RVT. So I have been an RVT since 2009. Nora, when did you become an RVT? Uh, 2018. Okay, cool. Very cool. And you're loving it? I do. I absolutely love it. (laughs) It's great. So I I think probably we need to start with talking about what an RVT is. Um, And I'm always beating the drum of RVTs and credentialed vet techs. I don't know, Josh and Amber, do you guys have an idea of what an RVT is or have you worked with RVTs in your work, day-to-day work? Yeah. And so where I work, we have animal care, well, not care technicians, but so those are the people that are basically like changing out the cages and things like that. But then we also have animal health technicians. And so they go by like different names, as you just said, but they are registered veterinary technicians. And so they're like certified and whatnot. They usually go through that like two-year program, I think, um, which we might talk about later. But yeah, they are the ones that kind of also assist like the veterinarians with administering um, like substances to the animals, or if there's something going on with the animals, they help to kind of like alleviate their pain and, you know, help to determine like, okay, what um, is the outcome of like this animal or what are some things that we can help to like alleviate their pain, whether it's like, you know, humanely euthanizing them in the end. Um, And then on a personal note, I have like two dogs. They always get into stuff and we end up having to go to the vet. (laughs) And so we work with a lot of the um, vet techs there as well, who are just super sweet and they, yeah, I just love like working with them. Awesome. How about you, Josh? So I, is there a difference between registered veterinary technician and licensed veterinary technician? Is there a difference? No, they're technically the same thing in the U.S. Okay. Got you. Yeah. So my only experience is just basically like, yeah, the same thing, the ones that work at our university. And so they send, they tend to be kind of the boots on the ground. Like obviously like the front line um, is the uh, animal care techs who are like identifying like a sick mouse or a sick fish or something like that. The vet techs are doing rounds. They're checking everything out. They're usually probably like diagnosing and treating. Uh, whereas like typically we don't have too many people treating. Yeah. I one could thing, be wrong about vet, that. Well, the vet techs cannot diagnose. That is one thing we are oh. not, not permitted to do. So we can okay. prognose and we can give signalment and diagnostics to a veterinarian, but we cannot make a diagnosis. So sorry, uh, I'm being okay. pedantic, but it's, <laughs> it's like it's drilled fine. in my head from school, probably Nora <laughs> as well. <laughs> Same, same. Yeah. No worries. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes you got to run things up the chain for the veterinarians, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's usually, so they're, yeah, they're wonderful. I really appreciate the job they do, especially ones who take an interest in fish. They are super, they go like, I super extra appreciate them. Right. Because they like, yeah, I just, I just love it when they take an interest <laughs> and like, don't see them as like, kind of like the, just like something that doesn't matter as much. So yeah, sure. we appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, Thanks. just to elaborate a little bit on that, it's in the US, there's a little tiny bit of a word salad when it comes to like how they title credentialed vet techs. So mm. sometimes in general, they'll just say credentialed vet tech. And then like, so in this, I, I'm in Colorado, in this state, they call a, like a licensed veterinary technician or credentialed veterinary technician, a CVT. So where okay. I'm from back home in Canada, across the board in Canada, it's RVT, uh, registered veterinary technician. Um, and then I think probably in, in New York state, they're probably LVTs. So, and Nora, where you're at, they are RVTs as well. Yeah. I'm right on the border of Missouri and Illinois. So if you're credentialed in Missouri, you're an RVT. And if you're credentialed in Illinois, you're an LVT. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. It's been a bit of a mess across all the states and there's, I think there are some 
top minds working on trying to ameliorate that a little bit, yes. but it's difficult. And there's the whole complication as well with the terminology of like veterinary nurse. Um, you may hear that mm. in the UK, for example, um, it's a similar or the same role, but there's difficulties with using that particular word. Um, so RVT, I think there's a push to try to make it RVT across the whole US potentially. I don't think RVN, registered veterinary nurse, will become a thing, but um, I don't know where we are with that because I'm not super plugged into how things are across the U.S. I don't know if you are, Nora. Yeah, no, no. I yeah. know that there's a push to unify, like make it a singular phrasing, but yep. I am not a part of that movement. But then there are also states in the United States that don't have, you don't have to be licensed. Like there right. are no letters mm. credentials yeah so you can have too. folks that yeah there are folks that can be what we call on the job trained um, and these are people that didn't have any formal education or like licensing sitting for a board exam that can potentially do the same scope of practice that a, a veterinary technician can do so there's been a big push in like back home in canada where they're, they're working on a scope of practice in some of the provinces so that like a veterinarian has a scope of practice where they say veterinarians can do this and this and this and then there's a bit of a Venn diagram there where vet techs can do this and this and this. Um, but for now, we have to cling to that R or that L or that C to make sure folks know that, you know, we went to school for two to four years, mm. got a diploma or a degree, and then sat for an exam uh, at a minimum, usually. So, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> so it, it's a little bit complicated. Yeah. And that's why you'll sometimes hear me, if someone says vet tech, I, my ears go up and I'm like, what? D did you go to school? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You get excited. Are you licensed? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a license? Yeah. Where? How long have yeah. you been in for? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically an RVT to like be really pedantic on the definition, we are formally educated, we're trained professionals that are part of a veterinary team, whether it's in a clinic, on a farm, an aquaculture facility, at a zoo or an aquarium or in a lab animal setting. We basically like go to school to get all the theory and like practical skills down pat. And then we spend time usually in a clinic, uh, a clinical setting to kind of work out all of our, our technical skills uh, and our practical skills. And we have CE we usually have to do. So every year we have continuing education, we have to submit to our like regulatory board um, to make sure that they know that we are keeping up with our education. So, but, you know, like I said, we can't diagnose. So we can't, the veterinarian is the one that is making the diag the diagnosis that says your animal has this or that. We cannot prescribe. So whether that's a treatment, we can't say you have to get this treatment. We can't prescribe a medication, but we are given orders by the veterinarian. So yeah, we're basically the right-hand person for the the vet uh, or the veterinary team that's like, we're given the orders or we have standing orders to do a treatment, to do imaging. So like I used to do MRI, I used to do CT, I used to do PET scans, all that kind of stuff. We do dental work, we do anesthetic. Anesthetic and like drugs is some of my favorites. So, um, but yeah, that's basically what an RVT is. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Nora, as far as RVTs and what we do and the kind of stuff that we get up to in our jobs? <laughs> no, I think you covered most of it really well. Um, I would say that the, there are, I don't know about other states, but in Missouri, there's at least our veterinary board has put out guidelines for what techs can do versus in Missouri, we call them tech assistants are on the job trained right. techs. Sure. And there's like a, they have like an actual chart that has a difference of what a tech versus a tech assistant can do. 
um, versus a vet versus an intern, a vet student. So they have a really nice chart listed out, which is nice to have. That's great. I think that's great. Yeah. It can get real blurry sometimes, right? When you're working in various areas. So yes, for sure. So Nora, you're a fish vet tech. Uh, I hope I'm not labeling you too much by saying that, (laughs) but, uh, what made you want to work with fish? Like, how did you become a fish RVT? Please uh, let us know. So yeah. So I grew up, my dad has had aquariums my entire life. Nice. Oh, wow. Like my dad has four aquariums set up with like over 300 gallons worth of tanks at home at his house. I don't live there anymore, but, um, <laughs> um, but set up. So I've always had grown up with fish. Um, and then I've always wanted to work with exotic animals. Just like, I never really wanted to do the cat dog thing or the farm animals. And so I was like, I'm going to be a vet and work with wildlife, like go to Africa and work with cheetahs. Like, mm. I don't know. Cause nobody really talks about like how to get into the vet field or like the different jobs within the vet field or the animal field, especially I grew up in a really small town. So like nobody talks about it. So originally I went to college going into pre-vet. And I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> and so I ended up taking a year off of school and I found a vet tech program, which where I went to school, nobody talked about trade schools. And I was like, this kind of sounds perfect for what I want to do. Like hands-on with the animals. Like, and so my tech school was actually is a little different. Most of them are two to four years. Mine was an accelerated 18 month program. So we were in wow. school for 18 months straight from eight in the morning until five at night. And if we had kennel shifts, cause we had animals on property to practice all our practical skills. So if you had kennel shifts, there were days that you were there 5am and you didn't wait till oh, nine o'clock at night. That's intense. It was, it was, Jeez. it was a lot, but I do not miss totally those days. It. <laughs> yeah. It I, is worth you know, it. I, yeah. I kind of do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the very structured learning. I love it. And so when I graduated tech school, I was like, I want to work with exotics and everybody in St. Louis, there's not a big exotics crowd. And I was like, this is really what I want to do. So I started working at a practice that was half exotics, half cat dog. And by the time I had been there for like two years, everybody would trade me cases. So instead of working (laughs) with one doctor from start to finish of your day, I would bounce around to whoever had an exotics case. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can you define uh, exotics for us just for the listener, I guess? Oh, yeah. Um, so exotics at this practice particularly um, is your companion. So guinea pigs, rabbits, snakes, lizards, birds, kind of your whatever you think of as a pet exotic, something mm-hmm. that's not a cat or dog um, in a house. So if somebody would call with a fish, like, we would potentially see it, but nobody had a lot of fish experience. So then we got, then I moved to another practice. I was working for a board certified ZooMed. She was ZooMed Companion Exotic Boarded. Nice. Um, and I was running her practice and she would see fish and she had experience with them. And and then that practice closed and everybody who tries to get into exotics, Christine, I don't know if you've heard this, but people, they'll be like, I've been trying for 15 years to get into exotics. Mm. And then there's little, little old me in St. Louis who's just had like these great opportunities just kind of fall into my, like I've just kind of fallen into them. Um, And people are like, wait, you, you run your own department. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, uh, um, but our practice closed and I had friends at the aquarium here in St. Louis and they were like, come apply. 
and I applied and I got the job and I'm the only tech at our aquarium, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's a lot, but it's totally worth it and a lot of fun. That's so awesome. I get to, yeah. I don't have to fight another tech to be like, no, I want to see that case. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I get all the cases. <laughs> I get all the cases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for me, like, I totally feel the same way. I got like a, a, a clinic job where someone was an exotics vet and I just kind of fell into that. He liked me. So I helped him out. Yeah. And, uh, and it was the same, like the fish job. I randomly chatted to someone and said, Hey, I like fish. And I got put on a seven week contract that became like many years. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just kind of happens. And I always knew I wanted to work with exotics, not necessarily fish. Sure. But I have always been around fish my entire life. So like, it's something that I definitely like. Like I'm, And so I enjoy it. It's kind of worked out perfectly. And I also at our facility, we have other animals. So mm-hmm. I get a little bit of that too, which is nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, there's a couple different species you guys have there. I was creeping on the, the page for the... <laughs> Yeah. Looking at the diversity of species you have, which is cool. Yeah. So did you guys have anything to add as far as, or any questions about like working as a fish RVT that we're not going to cover later? We're good. No, I think you guys like explained it really well. Awesome. I don't know too much about like the process of becoming like an RVT besides from like people that I work with, but even sure. then they don't talk too much about it. <laughs> so I know there's like actual programs that you go through and yeah. everything, but Again, even when I was going through college, that wasn't something that was like offered to people. Yeah. Like sure. it was more just like, oh, you just become like a veterinarian. Um, yeah. And yeah. there's nothing else. Do you love yeah. loans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You love loans yeah. and puppies. Why not have both? <laughs> <laughs> I think nobody talks about it because we kind of trauma response block it from our yeah. brain. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's a fair amount of stuff from school. And I mean, like, I appreciate what I went through in school in the rearview mirror, but at the time we legit had groups where we would get together just to all cry. So, yes. And I think yes. it's the same for veterinarians. I think it's the same for doctors. I think just in oh, general yeah. professionals that work in like the medical field, we just have like cry sessions. Yes. <laughs> where we're just it. like oh this was hard so it's a lot of hard stuff yeah it's tough it's my- yeah for sure so Nora do you want to share what kind of a day looks like for you as a, as a fish RVT at your facility yeah so my day kind of varies every day um I would say my standard is like I get to work and I check out my emails because if people have like concerns because I'm not there all the time so they send me vet requests if something's up or something's changed or whatever so I always check those first um, and then I'll go check in on any any vet requests that I've received or any animals that we're like kind of monitoring. I always go check in on them first. Um, and then any medications that are due, I'll make sure that those get handed out, passed out to the appropriate keeper to get to the patient. If I like sharks, I can't medicate a shark. The keepers <laughs> feed it through their food. Sure. Um, mm. But if I can medicate them, I'll go grab the keeper the primary keeper and go medicate. And then it just kind of all depends on what the rest of the day comes my way. Like sometimes I'm sitting at the computer writing SOP standard operating procedures or health protocols or looking reviewing diets to make sure that there's nothing crazy that somebody shouldn't be having or if we're getting a new animal or things like that. Quarantine protocols, I kind of I'm not in charge of all of those, but I help review my side of them. Mm. Um 
And then I always make sure to, I get to, I have to walk through and look at all the animals every day. <laughs> That's so, definitely a perk <laughs> of the job, right? <laughs> yeah. So sometimes if I'm just like, I'm so overwhelmed, I have to go look at Shark Canyon. And I'm just like, nice. down in Shark Canyon looking at the fish. And it's a part of my job, which just is a great perk to have. And That's it totally awesome. helps with the stress. But yeah, everything's different. Um, every animal in our facility, if we can collect it, gets a fecal twice a year so i look at a lot of poop <laughs> yeah that's also too, a perk of the job cause... sometimes <laughs> i was gonna say i do too but it's just because yeah. in new york city people don't pick up after their dogs <laughs> oh. or themselves oh, no. or themselves right? or themselves yeah. sometimes yeah, that's chicago for you do you do fecal floats there i do nice I, I do direct, everything gets a direct and a float except for okay. our parent. She gets a direct and a gram stain. But sure, okay, that's awesome. It might not hurt to explain what a fecal float is, just for <laughs> yeah, the layman. So, <laughs> a fecal float, you put a gram of fecal in the bottom of a tube, and there are these special tubes that are made for it. Um, and then you fill it with fecazole, and you put a cover slip, like it's a little glass slide on top, and you let it sit for whatever the allotted amount of time is and all of the parasites eggs and stuff will float to the top mm. of the fluid and then you take that little cover slip off and put it on a slide you can look under the microscope and Beautiful. see all of the parasites and things in their poop absolutely <laughs> that's great is Good it explanation. Often that you see with every sample or it's just like <laughs> i so we have a very large amphibian collection okay um and amphibians normally have a nematode load. Mm. Like it's just normal. So I would say, yes, I see something once a week when I do my fecal Fridays. Oh, fecal fecal Fridays. Friday parties. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I would say I find something at least once a week, but whether it's something that I need to re like report and get treatment plan for my vet or not is not common. So do you have a vet or a group of vets that you regularly correspond with? Like, I'm assuming they're not there on site all the time, or do you have a vet that's there all the time? So we have a contracted vet that is, mm -hmm. I text her, email her, call her probably daily. Mm, <laughs> um, but sure. she's there once a week unless needed for something else. Right. So I just have a really good relationship with my vet. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Having a really good relationship with like a, a contracted vet is incredible. We had one back at my old facility because we had all kinds of weird and wild species, even though it was a university and he was great. I hope maybe we can get him on the podcast sometime. Uh, he was the, also the vet at Vancouver Aquarium. He's a pretty funny guy, mm -hmm. but uh, he, yeah, I would be like, what is this? <laughs> Like, I think this is this. You, what do I do to treat it? He'd be like, uh, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. So, <laughs> we'd be funny. Is that pretty yeah. common to have like a contracted vet? Like there's not usually maybe like one. I think just so, yeah, I, aquariums, I think so. Yeah, I think it's coming more standard to have on staff vets. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to four new aquariums this year and they've all had on staff vets. Mm hmm. So I think it's becoming more standard, but I think with as new as we are, um, it's hard to commit to a full-time vet. Mm. So sometimes it can be hard to find a, a, a fish vets too. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's getting true. better. It's getting better. Like AAFE <laughs> yeah. and various organizations are getting a lot better about it, but yeah, it can be tough. 
For sure. I think when we were contracting this one vet, he was contracting to a lot of aquariums like all over the world where he was basically mm. traveling around. That was kind of his little side job, I think. Um, but he was great at it. So, yeah, it also depends if you're looking for a boarded vet in aquarium medicine or not. Yeah, oh, there's aquarium of... boards. Mm-hmm. So within this within the veterinary zoo med boarding. So like mm. it's a two day testing and test day one. I worked with a boarded vet. She had to go through this. So I learned a lot about it. Sure. Um, test day one is for standard zoo, the zoo branch. And then test day two is whether you're going into aquatics, zoo, or companion. Oh, wow. mm. So, yeah. Definitely. Most people go zoo or companion. And then there's the aquarium one, and people are like, go to that route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's like two of them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's more fish vets than you think, but a lot of them work in aquaculture. That's the huge amount of like fish vets are aquaculture folks. So uh, um, yeah, that's there's money there. I think right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we should move on. I don't need to necessarily share what my day looks like. I feed the fish and then I look at them. <laughs> <laughs> like our because I we're a mono species facility, right? So I've got 25-ish thousand zebrafish in our facility. Mm-hmm. And so our job, almost all of our animals are broodstock, right? I'm sure it's the same for you guys, where almost all the animals are there to produce embryos. So we have kind of like fish herds of fish. <laughs> we're doing herd health, right? So yes. individual animals are not that they're not important, but we are looking at the group of animals as a big school and so we're making sure that those animals are healthy enough to be productive so they can make more animals right make more embryos so our day-to-day is you know every single day at least once a day we're looking in those tanks and so i have the okay from both our veterinarians and our the the lab staff that i'm working for to um i've got the okay to like euthanize things if i feel that things need to be euthanized for zebrafish because they're so small um Treating them is difficult. It's rare yeah. that we will treat zebrafish. We may send euthanized fish for histopathology to see if we're, you know, dealing with uh, an outbreak of something or a new pathogen we need to be concerned about. But in general, the individual fish, humane euthanasia is usually what we we are aiming for um, in order to keep the whole colony safe and and healthy. So, but that's kind of what my day looks like. Um, I don't have much other than that. So. It's okay. I was going to say, it sounds like you're a schooling nurse. (laughs) I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What were you going to say, Josh? Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, So what I was going to say is that um, I think with these zebrafish, so like, you know, because I manage a zebrafish zebrafish facility, but also a lot of other species uh, with the zebrafish facility. Yeah. There's like the vet tech job tends to be pretty simple because a you're getting mostly getting your fish from like known pathogen area right you kind of have an idea of where they're coming from and like what they have already yes uh, or you can borrow you know you can buy things from vendors that are like relatively clean that you yes. know right you're not i mean some people god forbid are probably ordering from pet stores but like hopefully not and so like <laughs> because of that typically the diseases that we see are ones that are pretty endemic within deep fish populations are pretty common so it's usually like euthanize don't euthanize stuff like that Um, but there's not a whole lot of treatment and like you said it's herd health so there's always duplicates almost always so you might have 25 fish of a certain line maybe 50 so it's like if you have to euthanize one it's not you're not going to lose anything 
Um, but I did find in a lot of other species, like with killifish or betta fish, where they're doing specific behavior experiments on them or whatever, that you do have to like treat that individual fish because like they've been running an array of experiments on this fish or like whatever, and they want to, they want to get a better, they want to have that same fish. Right. So you do have to kind of approach it a different way. Also the sourcing is different for those fish. Yeah. Yeah. And so Nora, just so you're aware, our zebra fish, generally they come in with a certificate of like, here's all the things that we've seen in the colony they came from over the last couple of years. So we have a really good picture of like pretty much most freshwater fish pathogens, their prevalence or lack of prevalence in the colony that we're, if we have fish transferring from another facility, we usually still quarantine. Like we're really pretty strict about that, but in general, um, we're bringing in embryos, just the straight up the embryos, like eggs of the fish, and uh, we grow them up and then we may test them to see if they have things. But our most like kind of insidious things that we deal with in zebrafish are the microsporidians. So like Plastophora, mm. like neon tetra disease, we see that occasionally. And then there's something called pseudoloma, which we deal with, which is also pretty insidious. Like there's not really a treatment for those things. You have to kind of humanely euthanize symptomatic fish and prevent the spread. So. Yeah, that's what we generally deal with. Yeah, and I feel like in laboratory animal science as a whole, compared with like ZooMed, uh, we're also pretty diligent about keeping things like super clean. And maybe we're getting away from that now that we have a better understanding of like how fish function and whatnot. But I know like we like to clean things like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and I know for ZooMed, just talking with people who work at aquariums and such, it's not quite like that like they still do their cleanings and whatnot but they view things very differently um from like you know people that work in the laboratory animal science field yeah it's definitely complicated like we have altered and messed with the microbiome of like where our fish live so severely Mm -hmm. that it can have impacts on their health so the thing is a lot of fish that live in you know in the wild or in aquaria that may be mixing with other species they may not be the same level of naive to some of the diseases that our fish are. So, you know, if I bring in fish from a really clean facility and I put them in my facility, they don't have nearly the same level of immune response capability that maybe a fish in an aquarium or a zoo might have. And so mm. things are new to them like pseudoloma and they're just like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and so we Caspers. have to try to support, yeah, Caspers, we have to try to support them uh, as best we can. So that ends up being something where we do a lot of surveillance um, to try to make sure that we support them as much as we can. But in a laboratory environment where they are often naive to just the environment, um, it can be a bit of a challenge. So, um, yeah. So what do you think makes it different working like as a fish RVT versus like you did work in clinic for a bit, right? So yeah, what do you think makes your work different? Uh, it's definitely more of a challenge to work with fish because like you can't pull them out of the water and take them wherever to get what you need with like people who work with dogs. Like you can teach mm-hmm. a dog to sit and get a blood draw and trim its nails, but like a fish you're like, okay, well, can I even get blood on this species? <laughs> and can you catch it in the tank? So like we have a cichlid habitat that's 20 feet deep. If mm. we have a fish that's acting funny at the bottom, the odds of us catching it are slim to none. And we <laughs> usually have to wait till we have a dive scheduled for maintenance. And then it's sure. okay. Now can the diver catch the fish? And it's so a lot of times it's like a wait and see game and like visual. And do we need to treat the whole tank or can we catch this animal to treat just that animal? And 
it's it's a whole different ball game, but I definitely love the troubleshooting around sure. it. I find that really enjoyable too, like trying to figure out how to administer some meds too to the fish in a way that's like safe for them that actually works. We had some like yeah. parasites on yeah. my old facility and it would be like, all right, Prazoquantil, we need to get it into these fish. How do we do that? <laughs> Things like that. So uh, I find that fun. Yeah. Definitely. We just had to do a whole Prazi treatment on a 17,000 gallon system and it was an event wow <laughs> we, we literally just bought jugs of prazi pro i don't know if it even still exists and we were just like glug 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 oh. enjoy everybody <laughs> enjoy all this prazi I... pro it worked really well but it was like i didn't think this pet trade product would work <laughs> oh no i had the powder compound oh, and no. had to put it in like a pantyhose to dissolve it in like alcohol like single grain alcohol and then dissolve it through the sump slowly it was like it took me like three hours to get the oh treatment going wow <laughs> what was the was, name of that yeah. drug again so prazaquant that sounds like something from dungeons and dragons it's something they give like dogs <laughs> and cats too it's just a pretty common dewormer yeah. it is like a bog wow. standard dewormer if, that's relatively inexpensive okay <laughs> if i recall it's pyrantal in dogs and cats i think so okay. is like oh. the shelf name yeah yeah amber's like yeah i know that one yeah absolutely yeah. but yeah it's, it's used really commonly in dogs and cats uh dogs especially mm -hmm. so um but it, it works real and well cattle. On, like, oh yeah mm. that's true yeah yeah but yeah and it's you, a you big can cattle drug yeah, definitely. Uh oh, I'm gonna nerd about out about pharmaceuticals. This is gonna be a problem. Uh oh, uh -oh. we should change topics. <laughs> we gotta change topics. Um, I what do you like best about being an RVT? I love the the like level of um, responsibility that I have. Like, I'm the oldest of five kids, so like responsibility has been my middle name my entire life. <laughs> Josh knows. <that. laughs> I'm the oldest of ten, so rock on, uh, oldest. My my mom is 10 of 11. So no way. Both, my, both my parents are the babies. And then there's, I'm the oldest of my five siblings. So it's crazy. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but I've always been like, so I like, I love the responsibility, but I also love the everyday hands-on. Like everybody's always like, well, when are you going to be a vet? And I'm like, never. Yeah. I like, <laughs> I like the hands-on nursing care that I get to give my patients and the relationships and like in a facility setting, like I do a lot of training sessions with mm -hmm. animals. So like a lot of our, sh all of our sharks, rays and groupers, which are groupers are bony fish, but <laughs> sharks and rays are, but um, <laughs> they're all target trained. What? And yeah, they all oh, have cool. target station feeding, which is super cool. So just explain what that means. Yeah. So they, we take um, every, so like our nurse sharks, their target might be a purple square with a black X and mm. our keepers will drop it in the water and then make a specific noise. And the nurse sharks know that that's their station to be fed and they'll swim up to it to get their food, which is super cool. Um, and some of our sharks and rays are stretcher trained. So like if we need to pull wow. them out of the water for something, we can drop their target in and they'll swim into their stretcher. For Isn't that awesome? And things, that's freaking super sweet. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. <laughs> It's really like uh, something that I think a lot of aquariums try to aspire to do because you want these animals to be able to participate in their own care, 
right? So yeah. you're getting them to voluntarily do yeah. these things where they can come up and like they're, they're comfortable with getting on a stretcher where maybe they need an ultrasound or they need blood collected or something like that. So it's great. It's great yeah. to hear that, that you're involved with that too. That's awesome. I'm a little jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> it's super fun. Our Southern stingrays will actually come hop up in their basket um, and they'll sit still so I can ultrasound their reproductive mm. organs. Nice. Because we have all females, so there's a higher chance of them getting reproductive disease. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just because we have an all-female herd. And so we get to, they let me do that and they're super great about it. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Have you guys, uh, Josh and Amber, have you ever seen any of those kind of behaviors done in an aquarium when you visited? Have you ever seen any of those training sessions happen? So I've seen like videos of them okay. for sure. I haven't seen it at our aquarium which i guess would be shed for us mm-hmm. um but they probably do it behind the scenes i'm pretty sure so they're pretty good about training especially like with like the beluga whales or like the bigger like marine mm-hmm. mammals but yeah like that to me is just amazing and i love rays they're like sea pancakes yeah <laughs> our, yeah ours we have a touch tank of rays and they're like we call them our puppy dogs um because they'll come up to like get people to pet them and if you don't pet them they'll slap you with water because they're like pet me (laughs) so they're a lot of fun I always wonder about that whether like you know because I'll go to the even our zoo here has like a seasonal um ray tank and I'm always like do they want me to touch them I guess I put my hand there and they come to me they want it if they they can go away if they want to right like they have places they can go where people can't get to them so I'm guessing that like hey if they're actually actively coming towards me uh, they want that. So that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I find it like really interesting, like the number of like animals or like, I guess fish that like, you know, they like the feeling of being cleaned by another fish or whatever. And like this weird relationship with some like bigger predatory fish where they're like, yeah, I'm cool with like coming over here and like letting you like scratch me or pull off the parasites or whatever. Like they just kind of know and understand but I, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me why they like like certain ones like to be pet or scratched. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I think it's because like in the wild, they have symbiotic relationships with other fish that would clean certain things off of them. And in captivity, they don't necessarily have those, whether it be mm. microorganisms or other fish. Um, and so it might be fulfilling something that they're not getting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying that the people that come for like the touch tanks, so they're not being paid to basically like just um rub the fish. Provide the service. Free labor. Sure, we can go that route. Yeah. 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 If you want me to come and pick parasites off of a fish somewhere, I will do Sounds it for fun. no money. You can pick. <laughs> I will pay to do it. I'm fine with that. Like- <laughs> Yeah, I'll do. No, pick me so I can pick that one, and I will pick it. I'm with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I do feel like I I learned something new today because I did not realize that you could target train sharks. I know that seems probably silly, but like I totally get how most people would be like, yeah, you could target train like beluga whales and dolphins and stuff because like duh they're they we all know that they're intelligent enough to do like certain levels of tricks and whatever and they have a decent memory but like yeah the idea that you could basically train a shark to like associate like food reward with like a specific shape or color or whatever is really cool to me and i didn't yeah. realize that you could get them to just like do that so i think that's amazing i i didn't realize you didn't know that <laughs> nope i did not <laughs> yeah we shark- have seven species of sharks and they all have their own targets 
Wow. That's cool. So Josh, I'll, I'll talk about this another time, but we actually had Bashirs. Do you call them Bashirs or the I like to call them Polypterus, but yeah, Bashir. We, we can had start target doing trained Polypterus at my old job. Incredible. Yeah. So <laughs> I think really if it's a vertebrate, most vertebrates, you can probably target train them. I, I've seen video too of other aquariums where they have like, like arowana or like other big fish, um, mm. bony, various bony tongue species that will be target trained. Yeah, we have a lot of our larger fish. So our um, paddlefish mm. are not, they're kind of target trained, but they are filter feeders. So it's hard mm. to like target yeah. them. Yeah. Um, but then like our Matoro ray, our alligator gar, our clown knife fish, they're all target trained, which is super cool. Our long nose gar. Nice. Super That's fun. awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So did you have any interesting cases to share? One of the coolest cases that I saw is I know in a previous episode, you guys have talked about walleye, but we had, we have a walleye and he, so if the dissolved oxygen in the water gets too high, they actually get like exothalmia and their eyes like bug out of their heads. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can go in, you can sedate them and then go in and cauterize part of their uh, pseudo branches and it stops it like lowers the amount of oxygen passing and it actually releases the pressure interesting so that was super cool and he's like his totally back to normal and swims around and bullies everybody now <laughs> but he was like fully exophthalmic and like wow. cloudy eye and now you can't even tell that he has a problem because that's wow. yeah which so i did, thought was crazy did you put him under anesthesia to do that procedure did you take him and put him yeah, in anesthetic did. okay Cool. Yeah. Yep. And you're using Tricane or some IMS triple two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We use MS triple two for sure. Nice. That's yeah. very cool. How yeah. big was this fish? Um, he is, I want to say he's like seven kilograms. Okay. Cool. Maybe. Wow. That's a, a big fish. <laughs> I used to, he's, used to one gram fish. So <laughs> I know he's like 36 inches long. So he's a pretty, okay. pretty big. Yeah. Fish. Wow. Yeah. And they're strong. Like walleyes are pretty strong. So they're, they're yeah, tough he was, fishies. Um, blind. And obviously I like to think he had a headache because his <laughs> eye was like popping out of his head. Sure. Um, that can't feel good. So he was no. kind of just like lethargic laying at the bottom. So he let us catch him pretty easily but mm-hmm. yeah and now he's swimming around happy fish nice. yeah bullying everybody like normal <laughs> uh. <laughs> that's so cool that's awesome yeah did you guys have any questions about that that case particular oh it's awesome yeah. <laughs> so cool glad you're able to fix him that's really amazing yeah, yeah it's super cool and like when you read papers about it they're like cauterized 25 to 60 percent and you're like of this vessel like okay <laughs> just like a, a couple much? inches space that's pretty cool oh it's like a it's like a centimeter and a half long oh wow and they're wow. and they're like cauterize this much but as you touch it it's a silver nitrate stick right and as you touch it it grows like instantly so you're like uh, how much should i just cauterize? Okay. so you're chemically cauterizing so. with silver nitrate yeah okay yep. okay i was like electric yeah. cautery? like what kind of cautery are you using but that's cool so um if no, any, if either of you guys cool. have ever had a dog get their nail trimmed and maybe they quick the nail or if you've ever oh, done it yeah. there are those like grayish sticks that they can use they use them on mice too sometimes those are silver yeah. nitrate they help to like they chemically cauterize the space and prevent like they cause uh, blood to coagulate and prevent like bleeding from mm. happening so yeah 
It's kind of cool. They're the things that stain all of our mouse biosafety hoods. When you see those gray marks everywhere, that's silver nitrate sticks. (laughs) They get it on your skin. You'll never get it off until that skin slops off. Yeah, yeah, it won't ever. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. How long was that procedure, though? Oh, it was maybe five minutes. Oh, okay. Mm. I was thinking because it sounds like you have to be so meticulous with it. Yeah, it w- I mean, from start to finish, it was maybe like 10 minutes just because it takes them like five to seven minutes to sedate in the tricane. Um, but then once he's sedated, you just, and then you give him a minute and then you pull it back up to see if you need to um, cauterize a little more. And then, yeah. And then That's awesome. Put him in this recovery vat and he wakes up. And Yeah, so you have like a separate like vessel that you put him in of just fresh water to have him wake up in basically. Yeah. Yeah, cool. clean tank water that's not sedate and that doesn't have any chemicals in it. Yes. What's the yeah. concentration of uh, MS-222 that you use? Um, for that procedure, we probably, I want to say we did 50 parts per million. Um, just okay. because we just needed him calm. We didn't need him yeah, totally completely out. anesthetized. But I've I we had to do a biopsy on a stingray. And I mean, I've gone up to like 80 to 90 parts per million. So depending on what we're doing and how calm we need them. For sure. What do you, Josh, do you remember what you guys use for zebrafish normally? Uh, For anesthesia? Yeah. I wanted to say it was 150. Yeah, 150 is pretty, sounds pretty right. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, most of the procedures in zebrafish are are real quick. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you're keeping them under for a while, you know, I'm not sure. And then for like, Sometimes we do it for embryo sorting, right? So like those ones are in for a bit longer, but they're also like way more um, resistant to it at that age oh, as yeah. most animals are resistant yeah. to everything. <laughs> yeah, you have to use a much higher concentration for very young yeah. zebrafish. And that's in part because of how they can respire over their whole body basically when they're mm-hmm. really small. So yeah, that's tough. Well, that's an awesome that's case. Cool. I uh, yeah. That was super cool to hear. I didn't realize, and there's like actual papers where folks have done this in the past. So that's what you guys based your work on. Yeah, they're, that's yeah. awesome. Because yeah, their numbers are like yeah, twenty to sixty percent, and you're like, okay, thanks. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that with us. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Do you have any advice for people who are interested in becoming an RVT, whether just an RVT in general or you know a fish RVT? Uh, do you have any advice mm-hmm. in general? Um, yeah, I mean. Obviously, like, don't listen to what other people say because everybody's going to be like, oh, it's so hard. You'll never get into it. And there's no jobs in the field. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, there's definitely jobs. (laughs) Um, But yeah, don't listen to other people. And just if you want it, like, just work for it and reach out. Lots of networking. I network all the time Mm -hmm. um, because... As I was always told growing up, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, a big part of it. It's a big part real. of it. it is. <laughs> I mean, it definitely, you have to know what you're doing, but knowing people is a big help. It's so, combo. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I agree. Um, yeah, as, as far as like my advice is, you know, you're never really too old to become an RVT. I was a little bit older, maybe by five to eight years older than most of my colleagues in school. Um, mm. It helped to have some background working as a vet assistant in clinic. So I think the one piece of advice I would give anybody who was looking to become an RVT of any kind would be make sure that you can actually 
feel comfortable doing the work, you know, like, I don't know, Nora, if you had worked at all with animals in any capacity before you went to RVT school, did you do any work beforehand? Um, so we had a program in our high school and I spent like every day at the vet's office. It was health sure. occupations. Yeah. So you're supposed to spend it in like 13 different medical fields. I just spent all my time at the vet's office. Sure. Yeah. And I think uh, when that, that happens, then you realize, okay, this is something that I can do. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And I helped out with like a TNR program and trap neuter release for mm-hmm. feral cats. Um, mm. And I work with local exotic rescues. So I work at the parrot rescue and a rabbit rescue in the area. So just well, getting your foot in the door as many places as possible. Yeah. And I those, think, sorry, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. Were some of those volunteer spots, like is that you would, you guys would all suggest like getting in and volunteering if you can, or. Yeah. So all of those are volunteer spots for me. Um, Cause one of them was like, the high school program was class credits. Like I was getting mm. credits for that. Um, but then the TNR and rescue local rescues were voluntary just to get my hands on the animals. Yeah. It, it's, it's tough. Like I think probably in my vet tech program, um, the folks that struggled or that weren't able to make it through, it's not necessarily the coursework. That's the challenge for folks. It's the actual animal work itself. So yeah. It's not for everyone. Um, We, you know, we deal with lots of cute animals. We do some really cool, awesome stuff with animals, but we also are there for the end of the animal's life. Right. So that's a big part of the job is being able to cope with loss and euthanasias and maybe things that animals that are in distress sometimes. Right. So it's our job to try to fix those things with the veterinary team, but it's going to happen. Right. And, you know, you do lose patients sometimes, you know, animals that are on your watch or on a veterinary team's watch may end up passing away despite your better efforts. Um, and there's nothing you can do about that. So that can be a challenge, right? I think that's probably my piece of advice is that like, try to get some experience with like checking out either a vet or like, you know, shadowing somebody in high school. I think there's a lot of opportunities in high school to do things like that. When I was in elementary school, I had a friend of of our family who was a veterinarian and I stood in in surgeries when I was like eight years old (laughs) watching these cats like spays and neuters. And I was like, yeah, this is fine. I I can watch these things. I would be like taking all the like dirty tools and getting them, putting them in the ultrasound sonic cleaner and stuff, you know? Yeah. So um, I think at that point I realized I wanted to to work with animals just in whatever capacity I could, but it's definitely like... Liking animals is great, but like doing the kind of work that we end up doing with animals is not necessarily for everyone who likes animals. So, yeah. And people are always like, I, a lot of my tech friends, they like to call me Dr. Death. Not really. (laughs) Sure. But I, (laughs) but I, so I like to advocate like when people are presenting, when you have like a case and you know, it's going to die, like obviously every case is, but like it's end of life and everybody's like, well, we could do this. Well, we could do this. We could also euthanize. Like it's sure. not a wrong decision at this point. Right. And a lot of people are scared to talk about it. But to me, part of my job is being able to take that pain away from these animals. Sure. And it's a part of my job that like, as much as it is not fun to euthanize animals, it's something that I can give. like, they give nothing but good to us. Sure. Like, mm. so to be able to take that pain away and give them that release is something that I, I'm not going to say enjoy, but right. it makes, it makes me feel like 
I didn't make you suffer. Like it right. helps me mm. almost. Yeah. And so. it, it's hard to talk about, but to, to me, euthanasia can be a gift, you know, it, it's, it's tough. And, but you know, it's our job, you know, in, as professionals to make sure that it's happening properly, humanely at the yes. appropriate time. So, and just yeah. to be there with the animal. Right. So yeah. I know this is a super fun thing to like end the podcast. <laughs> I know, it's so sorry. What a hilarious! No, no. I mean, hey, you have hey, my respect. When you when you work in vet med, though, there is an ultimate like number of like dark jokes you can make about animal euthanasia. But I'm not going to do it. It's just a coping me- mechanism. You end up with like a dark sense of humor, and it's it's can be yeah. to people on the outside. It can be kind of like oh, but. It's it's a coping mechanism for a difficult job. Um, yeah. uh, Nora, before we wrap up, did you have anything you wanted yeah. to promote or chat about or anything you wanted to share? Um, maybe things, that you, groups you're involved with or employers, et cetera? Um, I mean, yeah, I just, for promoting, like I just think going and supporting your local zoos and aquariums that help with conservation work. Mm-hmm. Um, like go visit them and enjoy them they're there for a reason and they're doing great work other than that i'm kind of don't really have anything else i just that's i think my that's... goal is to go to every every zoo <laughs> to go to every zoo and so, aquarium that's the same for me yeah i travel with the mindset of what yeah. zoos and aquariums can i go to so <laughs> <laughs> so right yeah same same yeah. but yeah i, I wanted yeah. to thank you so much nora for joining us it was super great to chat with you um, and I'm going to have to course, chat with you again me. at some point because I, well, you guys, Amber and Josh have seen that like vet text, we can't stop talking about vet tech stuff. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> we get and a little nerdy it. about stuff and I keep thinking about Prazaquantal all night now. So <laughs> I know. <Prazaquantal. laughs> uh, How many dice rolls does it take to defeat Prazaquantal? <laughs> oh, one last question. What's your favorite? veterinary drug <laughs> my favorite veterinary drug yeah like the name um, just period drug doesn't have to be the name so i know which so one mine is <laughs> in my favorite drug to use is alfaxalone oh yes it. yeah it's magical yes but my in tech school we had to do we were learning about drugs and my favorite drug is dexlenicomidine oh mm. yeah yeah <laughs> We made up a song around it, and I don't remember the whole song, but <laughs> forever it's like dexmedicomedy. <laughs> That's so great. And, and when you're in tech school, you're like, "What the heck is that word?" And we were like googling how to pronounce it. Really? That's so funny. Yeah, so it was fun. When I was in tech school, I got dexmedicomedy in my eye, <laughs> and oh, it no. was like, "Now you have to sit down, and we have to watch you." It's um, it's a. A anesthetic drug that we use just so you yes. guys know <laughs> it's used so your to- eyeball was just like not moving oh uh, they were like well it's gonna maybe come in through your eye and maybe you're gonna feel pretty wonky we're gonna like listen to your heart because it has pretty profound effects on your heart overall like it causes your heart oh, to beat wow. less frequently but um way harder so yeah, yeah. this is a tangent but oh, like christine <laughs> Well, sorry. No, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I was, I was fine. It was a tiny dose. Like I was trying to draw it up and trying to get air bubbles out. And I literally flick the needle off and sprayed it in my face. So thanks for listening to listening to getting fishy with it. You can find our website and show notes at gettingfishypod.substack.com. You can find us on Twitter at getting fishy pod and on Instagram at getting fishy pod. 
You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Getting Fishy With It. If you want to drop us an email, you can send your complaints or questions to gettingfishypod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is Best Time by Fast Sounds, and our audio is edited by the marvelous Amber Park Giadini. We've been getting fishy with it, so keep schooling, my friends, because knowledge is power.